you know, the big hits and everything like that, I said, are, are huge parts of the game. But it's only is only helpful if it's done in a safe and an effective manner because, you know, if you have a kid out there who's hitting in a dangerous way, not only is he putting someone else at risk, he's putting himself at risk. So I do think that, so it's one of those things that, that I think needs to stay in the game. It has to be a part of the game. We can't all of a sudden overreact to these things, but we have to understand the repercussions to not, to not teach it the proper way. This is Gunnar Assize, an advocate for the Boomer Assize Foundation, and you listen to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm interviewing Gunnar Esiason. He's a recent graduate of Boston College. He was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at two years old, um, but then he went on to be a two-sport athlete and still remains very active to this day. Um, he's also the host of the Making It Matter podcast and blog, which serves as a resource for individuals with cystic fibrosis and their families. Um, but his, his main title is uh, an advocate for the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Um, so Gunnar, can you start off by kind of telling the audience a little bit about what cystic fibrosis is? Well, Kevin, thanks for having me on. Uh, cystic fibrosis is a genetic uh, illness that primarily attacks the respiratory uh, system and the digestive tract. Um, in, in order to care for uh, cystic fibrosis, I, I take a slew of medications. Uh, I deal with nebulizers. Uh, I have to take, uh, I do physical therapies to clear the mucus from my lungs, and I take uh, a whole number of uh, oral medications, um, enzymes, antibiotics, things like that to make sure my digestive tract works and uh, all in an effort to also really keep my lungs uh, as clear as possible. So that's quite the, the routine there. I'm sure that's tough for an athlete and a non-athlete to, to kind of maintain in, in regards to just like living everyday life too. So can you talk about some of the obstacles that are associated with being an athlete who has cystic fibrosis? Yeah, I mean, growing up, my parents always uh, had, me, had me involved in sports. Uh, I really started uh, playing organized sports with uh, Little League Baseball, um, things like that when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. I played, you know, my parents threw me on the ice, played ice hockey. Uh, that was the first sport I played when I was six. So what that did, I think, was not only help build a routine and discipline me to build a routine, which ultimately helps fighting cystic fibrosis, but it also, uh, as we found out, being active and playing sports and and exercising in general is really an, another treatment that we can use in the arsenal against cystic fibrosis because it really does help clear our lungs better than anything else we can uh, we can do. So basically, you guys have a hard time like breathing. So like, do you remember what it, I guess you don't really know what it feels like to breathe, you know, clearly, right? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I've never, you know, I've never had a a full deep breath, so to speak. Um, but with that being said. You know, it's it's not anything that that really helped me back when I was younger. I definitely recognized that I, you know, I was a little different than everyone else. But it never really uh, played into the fact that I, for some reason, should be looked at differently than the rest of my teammates or peers or or what have you. Okay, um, so I know like some of the obstacles that come with having cystic fibrosis is gaining weight, especially, I know you played football and hockey, those are two like contact sports where it kind of pays to be a bigger guy or girl. So um, can you talk about, you know, why that is and what you did to kind of uh, overcome that obstacle? So in cystic fibrosis, our pancreas, in many cases at least, uh, the pancreas 
inside the human body doesn't work correctly. Uh, the mucus that is developed because of the cystic fibrosis defect blocks the, the pancreas from working uh, correctly. So what that basically does is it creates a, a situation where people with cystic fibrosis have a very hard time gaining weight and keeping it on. So for really the entire entirety of my life, I've been underweight. Um, I have been in the lower percentile, you know, the lower percentiles of uh, of weight compared to the rest of American Americans my age and uh, and my height and things like that. Um, so definitely playing football and ice hockey were uh, were definitely challenges as far as that came. Uh, but at the same time, I you know I I didn't want to use my weight as a uh, as a reason not to play. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, and then later in life, when I got to college, I actually uh, developed pancreatitis, which is a um, a side effect that can happen with, for, uh, in people with cystic fibrosis. And uh, my weight really dropped to a very, very dangerous level. I'm a pretty tall kid. I'm about six uh, three, and my weight actually dropped into the 130s. So that was Jeez, a, uh, yeah. a very, a very, very dangerous time for me. So at that point in time, the uh, the doctors and my family and I all sort of decided that a feeding tube was necessary for me. Uh, to maintain uh, a healthy weight, and and ultimately the uh, the feeding tube really did uh, improve my life, it changed my life, uh, and it helped me get back to a uh, a point where I could put on muscle mass, I could keep weight on, and uh, the stress of overeating and and putting on calories was really uh, out the window because the feeding tube sort of supplemented everything else that I was doing. So you have that on you constantly now? Yeah. So I had the feeding tube placed in May of 2011 after my sophomore year at Boston College. And then um, it's you know it's it's with me indefinitely. So uh, most nights of the week, I I hook myself up to a pump, and I uh, I basically uh, am fed liquid uh, liquid 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 medical formula that uh, that essentially uh, helps put calories on. It's high, you know, it's nets and calories. It's very nutritious, um, and it helps supplement uh, the rest of my diet during the day. Oh, okay, so you still eat like normal food too. Yeah, so, so exactly. So I eat normal. So basically, the way my day will shake out with uh, with with my calories and stuff like that is I'll I'll do the overnight feed. Uh, that's probably close to sixteen hundred calories. Um, I'll wake up pretty full, which is a pretty odd feeling. I don't really eat breakfast because I'm full from quote unquote eating overnight. Right. Uh, then um, you know, uh, around eleven o'clock or so, like that, I'll I'll do a high fat, high protein smoothie. Uh, and I'll put that through my feeding tube as well because God knows how that tastes. It probably tastes horrible. I put it as <laughs> I put as much nutritious stuff in it as possible. Uh, then I'll have a late lunch. I'll eat lunch around like one or two. Then probably a snack, or if I go to the gym, I'll do a protein shake. I'll do that through my feeding tube as well. I call that a bolus feed. And then I'll eat a, a hearty dinner. So my goal is to get somewhere between four thousand to five thousand calories in a day. Wow. Okay. That, that's that's intense. That's like trying to it's like it's like a Michael Phelps lineman. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But and. And the you know the the crazy part of the whole thing is that I uh, I, I really I you know I shed a lot of those calories throughout the day. So while I am bringing in four to five thousand calories, I'm hardly keeping any of it on. So that that's probably a constant a constant struggle there. So yeah, I mean I would say it's definitely one of the one of the more active challenges that I face on a day to day basis. But because of the feeding tube, it's definitely not as much of a stress point as it used to be. And you can still play like sports with that. Yep, uh-huh. I uh, I had a place that was really part of the agreement as to to letting me to letting the doctors put it in. I wanted to make sure that I could live my life normally 
uh, after having the feeding tube placed. And I was assured 100% that nothing would change, and they were right, nothing did change. You know, I can go swimming with it, I can take a shower, I play hockey, I can slide across my stomach on the ice, and, not, and, it, and it's, it's very low profile. So, I mean, you can see it if I had my shirt off, but it doesn't bother me in any way. Right. So, do you wish that you had had this, like, when you were growing up? Like, um, in terms of, like, athletic performance? You know, I don't think I could have played football with it because it would have been too violent in high school. You know, football's a violent sport. So I do think that the feeding tube would have put me in jeopardy in a lot of ways uh, with football. So I'm not sure I would have had it growing up. But it certainly would have made my life easier. You know, that's, that goes right. without saying, I think. Okay. But I do also think that um, I, was, I, was, I got it at the right time. I was, I was sort of... Uh, mature enough and I was responsible enough at that time to add something so significant onto the end of my routine uh, as far as you know cystic fibrosis care goes and like how careful do you have to be like what like cleaning the the feeding tube and stuff like and like keeping it sanitary I guess the, the feeding tube is actually probably the easiest thing that I do um, it's it's very it doesn't have to be sterile doesn't have to be uh, cleaned it just you know the way I clean is I just jump in the shower and it sort of does the job Right. Um, there's obviously tools that I, you know, I use to connect myself to the pump at night, but that just, I clean that like I'm cleaning the dishes. Compared to the other things I do where, you know, my nebulizers and things that take care of my lungs, that stuff has to be entirely sterile because you're dealing with the respiratory system and the blood system and stuff like that. Right. So um, that stuff is a little bit more painstaking, painstakingly uh, annoying to take care of. Interesting. But the, the feeding tube is actually probably the easiest thing that I deal with. All right, cool. So that's a good piece of advice for, I guess, other, you know, athletes who have CF. That might be a way to way to go for that. Yeah, no, it certainly is. I mean, there, there's certainly a stigma attached to this feeding tube because that, you know, that's why I didn't want it when I was younger. But ever since I had it, and I, I realized how much it did change my life. It's been a, it's been a, uh, a major priority of mine to make sure that people with cystic fibrosis and other people considering a feeding tube for whatever for whatever reason do recognize the importance and what it can do to benefit someone's life. Great. So in terms of like, you know, you played two really intense sports in football and hockey. So how it was like breathing, you know, for you, like, did you, did that hold you back a lot for like, if you were running sprints or doing, you know, if you had a long shift out on the ice or, you know, how'd that work out? You know, when I was younger, I don't really remember struggling too much, at least in hockey. Uh, I, you know, I, I, first of all, I always thought, I mean, I wasn't a great hockey player by any stretch of the imagination, but I do remember my, myself being a better hockey player than I was a football player. So I don't really ever remember struggling with cystic fibrosis when it came to, when it came to hockey. Uh, now I, I can't really say the same. You know, the, the, the disease has progressed a bit. I, I had pneumonia twice during my college years, and uh, that has really definitely put a, a hamper on some of my athletic ability uh, in, in more recent times. So it, it definitely is a bit more of a struggle to play hockey these days. Um, than it was when I was younger. So I certainly missed those days. But uh, with football, I definitely did struggle uh, time to time. The, the long runs really got to me. The sprints, did, I didn't really mind the sprints too much because I could you know, catch my breath. But the long runs and the, the, like the real prolonged conditioning sessions were, were pretty bothersome. Um, but I got through it. You know, I, never, I never really felt sorry for myself. Uh, the coaches knew that I had cystic fibrosis. They, you know, they knew how far to push me and and uh and and you know where my limit was and, and things like that so i you know i wasn't really uh, too concerned um with my health you know i there was one instance though where we were conditioning we were doing hard sprints and then you know we were probably you know goof around in 
in practice or something my sophomore, junior year, and uh, we did a bunch of sprints and we started doing push-ups and sit-ups and things like that. We are sort of being... Um, punished of sorts? Yeah, quote-unquote <laughs> yeah. punished, I guess. But, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of a set of push-ups and the next thing you know, I'm, I started coughing up blood and everyone just started freaking out. My my best friend at the time looked at me like he had just seen a ghost. Oh. Um, and, it, you know, it's really, really looking back, it really wasn't too much of a big deal. Just kind of, it's one of those things that can happen to people with CF. And... Uh, but it was a first for me, and it was a first for all the coaches to see someone doing that. Right. So, uh, you know, they handled it appropriately. The trainer came over, and they, they took care of it. But, uh, you know, there were there, there definitely were some moments in time when uh, the difficulty of, you know, gasping for air or feeling like I was on a level playing field with my teammates did come into play. Right. So how did your teammates kind of, um, you know, support you, you know, with as an athlete with cystic fibrosis? Like, did they... <laughs> give you a hard time or, you know, were they pretty acceptive over it? No, I mean, no Except one ever gave me a hard time. I was, they were all very supportive. Um, I also didn't want to be treated any differently. I made sure that I was treated like everyone else. If I, if I finished a run too slow or if I didn't carry my weight, uh, in any part of, of training or of game or practice, I, I, I wanted to be held accountable for that. Um, uh, because I, I do think that football is the ultimate team sport, right? So it's, it's one of those things where not one player can be any more important than the next. So I want to make sure that, both my teammates, my coaches, and, and really everyone around the team understood that I, I shouldn't be treated any differently. Obviously, if there was an issue or something like that, then something had to be taken care of. But right. uh, during the actual process of playing and, and, and supporting each other as normal teammates do, I wanted to be treated like everyone else. All right, cool. So I know that CF, um, you or athletes with CF are pr more prone to infections, and you play two sports that have a lot of gear and dirty pads and you know I, i've smelt a hockey bag before i used to play hockey yeah. and it is not a, a a good smelling you know thing so mm -hmm. you can only imagine the bacteria growing in that thing so what were the obstacles in terms of infection and preventing them uh with being an athlete with cf yeah i mean there certainly were steps that we took uh, for infection control um i do think that like anything else in cystic fibrosis care there is a lot of uh there is a lot of there's a lot of things that are double-edged sword. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's things that we do to help ourselves, but at the same time, that, so, that same process or mechanism is also hurting ourselves. Like for, for being an athlete, for example, uh, it's clearing our lungs, it's helping us um, feel better, but at the same time, you're also putting yourself at risk, uh, especially in a locker room or um, you know, putting on the gross, disgusting equipment, things like that. So uh, what I did was I just made sure that I always put myself or gave myself the best opportunity to succeed. So if somebody was feeling sick in the locker room or there was someone on the team that wasn't feeling well, I'd, you know, I'd just remove myself from the locker room and get dressed elsewhere. Right. Um, I always made sure I was cleaning my mouthpiece. I cleaned my uniform every single day. Um, I had two pair of cleats. Uh, I had, you know, I had all this stuff to basically make sure that I was in a position to succeed. And it's the same way with my, you know, when I play hockey today, I, as soon as I come up with the rank, the whole thing gets aired out. I Febreze the whole thing. I clean my mouth guard if, I, if I'm wearing one. Uh, I, you know, I clean everything. Everything is basically as clean as possible because there's only so much that you can control, right? You know, you can't, right. you can't really live inside a bubble, especially when you go into the locker room or when you're amongst other people. Exactly. Um, at, you know, at, at some point you do lose control of your surroundings, but what I do have control of, I do uh, take advantage of. All right. So I've, I've watched a, a bunch of your podcast episodes and listened to them, obviously. And I know you interviewed one football athlete, and he he almost seemed like it made it seem like you guys have like different you know degrees of variation in terms of 
you know, how CF affects you. You know, he seemed like in terms of uh, weight gain, that really wasn't ever an issue for him for whatever reason. So how common is that in terms of like variability in CF symptoms? So we always say that cystic fibrosis is not a cookie cutter disease, meaning that it's not the same thing from patient to patient. Okay. Um, everyone is basically a little different. I mean, there are some major similarities. Um, you know, most people experience uh, major respiratory issues, but there are a few people who you know can get by, you get through life without uh, that much of a problem. Uh, there are people who <clears throat> experience significant weight loss issues. Other people don't. You know, there and then there's also reproductive issues. There's sign issues. Issues. There's there's a whole number of issues that people can deal with in cystic fibrosis. Some people unfortunately have to deal with all of them. Some people will deal with a you know handful of them. Um, then there's people, you know, who are, who get through life with a relatively mild case of cystic fibrosis, where there's people who, you know, have a very, very severe degree of cystic fibrosis from a very early stage in life. So right. uh, it's, it's very different across the board. Uh, and it's very hard to, to basically say that every single person with cystic fibrosis is the same because it, it, it quite frankly, just isn't true. Right. All right. Interesting. So in terms of football, you know, obviously your dad is Boomer Esiason, and he played in the NFL. So did you feel like you had extra pressure on you, you know, in football? I know you played quarterback, too, so that's even more pressure. Yeah, no, so I, I uh, it's funny you say that because growing up, my dad always put more pressure on me when, when I was playing hockey, and I think he, he went out of his way to make sure that he wasn't overwhelming me when I was playing football. I, you know, I, the high school I played, I was a pretty low level of football in high school. Um, it was you know, it's not like Friday Night Lights on TV or anything like that. Right. Um, so, you know, he, I, he, he definitely understood what I was doing and, you know, how, uh, how I was playing and, you know, basically doing to the best of my ability. He, you know, he was quick to critique me on a few things here and there, uh, but he was definitely more of a quote unquote hockey dad. You know, he was the, he was the dad that was banging on the glass, you know, screaming at me while I was, you know, doing my thing when I was playing hockey. But right. when he came to football, he, you know, he, he definitely bit his tongue. Uh, but he also was extremely supportive. He was never, uh, you know, the, the helicopter parent. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, right. And neither, neither was my mom for any, you know, for for that matter. But, cool. you know, he definitely, I think he definitely understood his place in the parent, you know, athlete relationship. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so that's probably made it more fun to play too. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what what were what was like your ma- most major setback during your athletic career because of uh, CF? So I actually contracted mono uh, mononucleosis my the summer between my junior and senior year, and that made me very very sick. For the first time ever, it really it impacted my entire body, and it really took a huge toll on my cystic fibrosis um, to the extent where I. I basically was sick for about two months, and I had a very, very hard time of getting back to getting back to normal. So I uh, came back senior year. I came back totally out of shape, uh, unprepared for football camp because I just I couldn't train over the summer. And within a matter of days, I lost the job as the starting quarterback. I um, it became very apparent to the rest of the t- my teammates and my coaches that I was not fit to play. Right, uh, and and it also became apparent to me and the rest of my teammates and coaches that I wasn't. I also wasn't well. I was still sick, and I was I was forcing my recovery back onto onto the football field. Uh, and after about a week of practice, uh, my parents decided I had to go to the doctor again. You know, because obviously I wasn't right. And and in cystic fibrosis, when something isn't right, it has to be taken care of almost immediately. It can't be. You can't sort of let it sit in the in the passenger seat and go along for the ride. You have to take care of it. So. 
Right. I um, went to the doctor, and essentially over the course of a few weeks here or there, uh, it became apparent that I was going to have to stop playing football so that I could be healthy for my hockey season. So I so they had to do a few things. They had to do a number of different procedures and, and stuff to get my lungs in shape for, for hockey season. So I actually only played in you know, a game or two my senior year. Uh, and that was a pretty, it was a pretty devastating thing for, for a 17, 18 year old kid to go through. But looking back on it, obviously isn't that big of a deal because I got to play hockey and that was really my true love, I think. Right. So, I mean, during that time where you know, it was, it was your senior year and you're watching your teammates out there on the field, like how did you, um, how'd that make you feel, I guess? And then how'd you kind of deal with it? Did you just keep your sights on hockey or? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I think I developed at an early age the a way to self-motivate myself. I also figured out a way to to really understand the difference between uh, you know positive and negative energy. You know, at no point during my life have I ever felt sorry for myself because the, there's just nothing that can come from that. Right. So I, uh, I I very early on figured out that I I needed to you know po- you know channel some positive energy when I was going through challenges. And I just kept looking forward to hockey season. Obviously, I was a teenager, and I definitely had uh, some difficult times, and I, I had a hard time. Um, I had a very hard time dealing with frustration, as anyone may, but ultimately, I was looking forward to hockey season, and I, I did love seeing my friends succeed in the football field. We actually had a decent year my senior year, uh, despite, you know, I wasn't playing or whatever. But my friends all, you know, they all had great years. My best friend, you know, he... He led the team in, in rushing, tackling, and receiving. So he had an unbelievable year, and that was that was a great thing for me to see. Yeah, and that's like a mature thing to or a mature way of thinking for a high school athlete. You know, when it's easy to think of like, why me? You know, like the yeah, those kind exactly. of things. But you didn't. I think I saw somewhere that you threw a touchdown pass. Was that your senior year? Or uh, I did it my so my junior year. I uh, junior year was the first year that I really played. I, I got playing time with the varsity squad. Okay. And uh, ESPN did a whole story on me junior year when I threw a touchdown pass. It was a, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, or it, at least they made it out to be a big deal. Like, to me, for me, it was just another, you know, another day of practice or a game. But it was still pretty cool. It was a cool moment for me because I proved to myself that I was able to compete on a, on a level with everyone else, uh, you know, at, a, at the varsity level. You know, varsity, right. obviously varsity athletics or high school athletics is different from youth, youth athletics in the, in the fact that winning counts. Right, so right. that was a uh, that was a pretty big moment for me, and then ESPN got a hold of the the story and, uh, and and did it as well. That's cool. So just like concussions, and I talk about that a lot on my podcast, just because mm-hmm. of my own head injury. But it, it's a, CF is an invisible illness. So like, mm-hmm. how does that make it harder for you? And also, is there any ways that it makes it easier for you? Yeah. So when we say invisible illness, I'm sure um, as I'm sure you know is. On the outside, we appear to be we appear to be healthy, but you know, no one really. It's from a third party situation, or someone who d- just meets us may not understand what we're dealing with on the inside. So I do think that uh, cystic fibrosis certainly is that because you know, on the outside we look healthy, we we're, we're capable of doing all these great things. We can li- lead a, a relatively normal life in in many ways, and I do think that uh, there are some pros and cons to that, as there are with anything else. Um, I do think that. Uh, it, you know, one major pro to it, I guess, is that uh, there, there's no reason to treat someone with cystic fibrosis any differently. There's no reason to to give us sympathy because many people will see if we, we're not seeking sympathy, we're not seeking pity, 
Uh, you know, we want to be treated like everyone else, just like I said when we were playing football, or when I was playing football, rather. Uh, but it, certainly a negative of it is um, people may not understand what we go through on a daily basis. They may not understand why you have to say no to certain social activities or commitments or things like that. Right. Um, but it, and, it, and it can complicate things. But at the end of the day, it's not something that I, you know, lose sleep over. All right. So are there any situations that you encounter where, like, uh, you wish that people knew with, without you having to say something? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, wanted, I've definitely encountered a few situations here and there when I've had to sort of explain what I was dealing with. Um, people with cystic fibrosis were, were entitled to have handicapped parking passes because if we get very, very sick, and it's obviously difficult to breathe, it's, you know, it can be difficult to get from the store, you know, from the parking lot to the store and back. Uh, obviously, right. we want to make it as easy as possible. Um, so I had been questioned a few times, uh, you know, parking in a handicapped space. It's, uh, you know, obviously I don't look like I am deserving of a handicapped pass. I'm 25 years old and I look relatively fit, but uh, I can I can tell you that when you're when you're trying to trying to breathe breathe through a straw or so it seems, it's you know there can be uh, there can be a challenge to get from the car to the storefront. So the so handicapped pass certainly that, hits. So that's what you're saying. It feels like to breathe is with like like you're breathing through a straw. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what we tell people um, if we want to let them know what it feels like. Right. I always that's, say, imagine having, imagine having bronchitis every single day of your life and trying to do 25 push-ups or yeah. trying to breathe through a straw and get through your, your normal everyday activities. Yeah, man, that's, um, that's crazy. Um, so is there anything that you're like strictly like prohibited against doing or strongly advised against doing with CF? Yeah, I mean, obviously smoking is a no-go, right? Uh, that would put me six feet under in a, in a matter of seconds. But, uh, you know, there are there are things that I do look out for or situations that I try to avoid, um, especially during cold and flu season. If I do get the cold, you know, cold or flu, it, can, it impacts me in a, a much more severe way than it would a normal person. So I do think that uh, there are certain situations that I limit myself from. For example, if I'm going on the the subway, uh, I you know, I wear a surgical mask. I, it, it not only does it indicate to other people that, I might be sick, but it also protects myself. Right. So uh, the surgical mask does play more more of a role than just protection. It, it indicates that to the, the rest of the general population to either stay away or that something is going on. Um, people often think that I'm trying to protect them from me when, in fact, it's actually the other way around. I'm just trying to protect myself from them. Interesting. So are you ever, like, self-conscious about wearing that thing? Because, like, obviously most people don't wear that just walking around. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, you definitely get a few, uh, a few funny looks. But it's not one of those things that uh, that I bet an eye. Yeah, I bet an eyelash too. I, I definitely uh, with like you know the same thing with my feeding tube. I, I do recognize that uh, it's there to help me. It's there to you know give me opportunities to succeed in life in many ways. So I I don't ever uh, feel sorry for myself or feel weird about having to wear uh, a surgical mask or or for that matter having my shirt off in public and having you know my feeding tube exposed. It's part of me and I have to accept that. Because whether or not I do accept that it's going to be there, and it's there to help me, right? right. So I, I think that goes think back that, to your uh, yeah your own it slogan that I'm looking forward to hearing more about a little yes, later. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so what about secondhand smoke? Yeah, so that's a uh, that's an interesting point. You know, obviously in college you're 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 put into situations, into social situations that you may not be used to in high school or growing up. Um, I was lucky to have friends that understood what I was dealing with, and they were also always in situations to um, to really give me an opportunity to succeed. 
So if we were ever around secondhand smoke or something like that, my friends were not hesitant to leave with me or find a different area to hang out or sort of sort of figure out a situation to you know give me a chance to avoid the secondhand smoke. Because secondhand smoke is such a you know it's one of those things that we you know can overlook uh, as 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 being a you know a pollutant in the air or something that is going to adversely affect someone with cystic fibrosis. But I can tell you that you know I can smell that that smell or uh, I do get discomfort, you know, I can, I can tell what's going on from a mile away. So right. I, I, you know, I do my best to avoid something like that. All right. Um, so do you have any worries for the future about having CF? And I know like for myself, I've had, you know, probably 20 concussions and almost one that almost killed me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I fear for my future is, you know, in terms of my brain health and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you have similar feelings and how you kind of uh, fight those. Yeah, I mean, obviously, cystic fibrosis is, we still consider it terminal. Uh, it's, you know, it's definitely not something that you want to live with. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I really don't fear my future because I try to take it one day at a time. You know, I, I, I plan for the future. I, you know, I save money. I, you know, I invest. I do these things to basically prepare myself for the future. I always look at it this way. You know, I wouldn't have gone to college to prepare myself for the next level or a higher level of education and, and learning um, if I didn't really want to, if I didn't think I was going to, you know, carry on with my life. Right. That's what you're saying. So, so I, what you know, but, you... but I do, but I do think that there are, yeah, there certainly are challenges that, that, that come later on in life for people with cystic fibrosis. Uh, oftentimes that's a double lung transplant, which is a very serious major thing. Um, but it's not something that I can, you know, if I thought about that every single day of my life or I thought about what could become of me every single day of my life before I turned 40 or something like that, that, that would drive me crazy. So yeah. I do think that it's, you know, one of those things that, you know, I know it's there. I know that, you know, it's, I'm living with a very dangerous thing inside of me, but at the same time, I've got myself this far. I, I don't see it, either, you know, any reason why I can't get myself, you know, to a normal, you know, a normal long life. Right. Uh, what did you study while you were in school at Boston College? Uh, I was an English major. I was uh, I took a lot of creative writing classes. Obviously, that's why I, I you know, do the blog, the podcast. Um, cool. Things like that. Yeah, I did sport management, but I ended up doing mm-hmm. a blog and podcast anyway. So yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those. Yeah, it's, it, everyone sort of seems to be going that way these days. Yeah. And I used to like hate writing and English mm-hmm. and any of that stuff, and now I'm like the complete opposite. So it's kind of funny where where. I'm like, I wish I paid more attention when I was in English class yeah, in high yeah, school. No, I, I hear you. Like, where's that comma go? Um, <laughs> but, all right, so let's talk about, you know, ho- hockey and football. So what are your thoughts on fighting in hockey? Uh, I, I'm a huge believer in the violence of the sports. Uh, I think uh, fighting is a, a thing that needs to stay in hockey. Uh, I'm all about the, the huge hits. Um, I think those are game-changing moments that swing momentum. Um, I've seen it after, you know, I coach high school hockey. I've been doing it for four years now. And I know that the, you know, that hitting is a huge part of the game because it not only does it strike fear into the opponent, right. but it's also something that every single kid on the team has to deal with, whether that person is the, the biggest, most athletic kid on the team or the, the smallest, uh, you know, the smallest freshman. So right. that's, it's something that binds the entire team together and it gives them a common... Uh, a common opponent, uh, you know, to deal with. Interesting. Now, what about like in terms of concussions? Yeah. So I, um, you know, ever since I started coaching about four years ago, I've I've seen firsthand the the importance of concussion training and prevention. 
Uh, you know, to say that even past four years compared to this year, this year compared to the first year that I was coaching um, right after I graduated college, uh, the concussion training has gone up exponentially. Um, I take, you know, I feel like every, and I always talk to my dad about it every time I finish one of these concussion uh, classes, I'm always like, you know, dad, I, I, you know, I'm learning all this stuff that I had no idea even existed. And it's, it's great to see it because in many ways, the coach is the first responder to, to, to a player after a big hit or, Right, especially in the um, you know, younger sports. Or, yeah. Exactly. Um, so it is a it is a major part of the game. It's also a major part of the coaching process and the coaching learning curve. Um, and it's also one of those things that also drives coaches and it gives us really incentive to make sure that we're teaching the proper way to hit, the proper way to play the game because you know the big hits and everything like that. I said are are huge parts of the game, but it's only is only helpful if it's done in a safe and an effective manner because. You know, if you have a kid out there who's hitting in a dangerous way, not only is he putting someone else at risk, he's putting himself at risk. 100% so I do agree, think that, man. Yeah. So it's one of those things that um, that I think needs to stay in the game. It has to be a part of the game. We can't all of a sudden overreact to these things, but we have to understand the repercussions to not um, to not teaching it the proper way. Yeah, I agree 100% because, like, obviously, I, sub- I almost died playing football from mm-hmm. concussions. But at the same time, like, you can't take hitting out of football. But what you can do is you can kind of create a culture where it's not cool to lead with your head and to mm-hmm. go for the kill shots, you know. Like, that, those are things that you can kind of prevent. And like you said, like, you, not only are you putting the person you're tackling at risk, but you're also putting yourself at risk. And I think people need to kind of realize that. Yeah, you know, um, I, you know it's, it's certainly – it's a complex thing, right? Because it's not going to be one of those things that changes overnight because you've had, you have kids that are, that are in, uh, you know, the, the later stages of their development and they've, you know, they've been taught one way. And then all of a sudden you have these kids coming up from the very beginning that are being taught the new way of tackling, the new way of hitting. And I think it's incredibly, um, I think it's incredibly important to recognize that there's a proper way to do things and there's also a way to not do things correctly. You know, I have a, I have a major bone to pick with USA hockey because they've actually taken out hitting, uh, at the early ages, they start hitting, um, and they, we call it Bantam. So Bantams are typically eighth and ninth grade hockey players. Okay. So, so if you're playing in youth hockey, uh, you start hitting, uh, by the time you're a first year Bantam, which is typically eighth grade. And then all of a sudden, the next year, you go on to play high school hockey, right? So you're a ninth grader with one year of experience of hitting. You're all of a sudden going up against kids who are two, three, four years older than you. So right. how, how, how is that a safe situation for a freshman in high school who's only had one year of hitting experience playing against someone who is off twice the size and has at least five years of experience hitting? Like, how is that a safe thing? You know, right. I, I do understand that taking hitting out of the, out of the younger age groups is probably you know, improving the safety of the game at that age. But later on, it's, it's, I think it's doing a disservice to the game. Right. I think in some ways they do that just to kind of limit the amount of hits that these, like, athletes get to the head, like, before they mm-hmm. get to that age. Um, but I, I see what you're saying in terms of, like, form and technique and knowing how to, like, brace yourself or just kind of go with it, you know, when you're getting hit. So. Because I think it's, it's just as important to learn how to defend yourself in ice hockey as it is to give a hit. You right. know, you have kids that you can't go – for example, if the puck's in the corner, you can't go straight into the corner because you're going to get hit from behind. You're going to end up in the glass. Right, you your take, face you is going to You got to take glass. an angle. You got to go in strong. You have to. There's, there's techniques to all these things that the casual observer doesn't really see. Right. Uh, and I, those techniques are, you know, they, they they they. When I played, at least, I started learning 
had to deal with that when I was in, you know, sixth grade. I broke my wrist when I was in sixth grade because I didn't have proper hitting technique and I learned from it. You know, that was the best way to learn. I, I came across the, the middle of the ice. I had my head down and I broke my wrist. And ever since then, I never, I never skated with my head down because I learned what would happen to me. I did. You, you learned the hard way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oftentimes you... that's the best way to learn. Yes, unfortunately, yeah. So did you suffer uh, any other injuries throughout your athletic career? Uh, the broken wrist was really um, my biggest issue. Uh, the coughing up blood, I guess we could consider that an issue. Uh, I'd say that's pretty scary, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had. Uh, but, you know, I think other than that, I was definitely pretty fortunate to, to escape uh, such violent sports with just a few injuries. Um, I credit that to drinking a lot of milk growing up. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you credit that to drinking a lot. But no, no, just a lot of milk. <laughs> a lot milk, of vitamin yeah. D. All right, cool. Um, so what do you do today to kind of stay in, in top shape? Like what's your daily routine? So my daily routine is uh, I'm on the – well, during – it's a hockey season right now. So uh, I'm on the ice uh, three or four times a week, and that's definitely – that gets me going. Um, and okay. then I do try to get into the gym uh, four days a week. At least, definitely not during – when I'm out of hockey season. I, uh, I'm, in, I'm in the gym at least four days a week. During okay. hockey season, it's a little different because people with cystic fibrosis, we have to balance both athletic activity and rest. It's got to be, um, it has to be, uh, there's got to be a fine balance there because we can run ourselves into the ground and, right. you know. Recovery is important for any athlete, but you're saying that it's even exactly. more important it's, for it's you more, guys. It's yeah. even more important with people with CF. I mean, every time I go to the doctor, she's always telling me to get more sleep. Uh, she's always telling me that I have to, I have to figure out ways to, to get rest into my day. And as frustrating and as annoying as that can be, because you're just, you feel like you're sick and you're not doing anything, it's actually, you're actually helping yourself by doing that. Um, so I, I certainly try not to overdo it. Um, but when I do go into the gym, I'm a big weightlifting guy. I don't, I, I absolutely hate cardio. Well, um, I, can, I can understand why. <laughs> so I, so I decided from, exactly. So I, in order to keep it fun for myself, I, you know, I, I decided that I'm not training for anything. You know, I'm not training to, be Arnold Schwarzenegger, or be a bodybuilder. I'm, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I'm just training to stay healthy. Right. So uh, I I decided that the best way to do that was to to make it fun for myself. Um, and and I do. And the way I make it fun for myself is by uh, lifting weights. And uh, you know, I try to do. Uh, I try to keep the rest at a minimum between reps or sets or whatever. To kind of keep the heart rate going. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's how I get my that's how I get my cardio at least. And then and then I also get cardio playing hockey because I you know I. I try to convince myself that hockey is not cardio. It's more fun. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I love skating. Um, so how do you think having CF has uh, helped you and then also hurt you as a coach? Uh, I think it's definitely um, I think it's definitely shown me <clears throat> the importance of discipline. Uh, I definitely understand the, the importance of discipline, accountability, responsibility, and uh, – everything that comes along with developing a routine uh, with cystic fibrosis. So, you know, I know, I'm not one of those. I'm not, when I coach, I'm not out there screaming at my guys, showing them that I have CF. They should feel sorry for me. And that's why they should play for me. But I incorporate a lot of the things that I've learned, like, like, like I said, accountability into, um, into the way I, that I coach. Um, okay. And ways that it has hurt me is that, you know, there, you know, there are days and, you know, there's, there's plenty of days when I'm not feeling a hundred percent. But I still got to figure out a way to get through that, get to practice, get through practice, uh, get through a game if I'm not feeling well. Um, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to go in, in the morning to get a procedure done, and I made sure I scheduled it early in the morning so I get to practice later in the afternoon. You know, there, there's a bunch of hurdles and obstacles, physical hurdles and obstacles that I had to get through to make sure that I can get to practice 
and maintain my responsibility to the team. Great. Um, so what's your favorite part about coaching? Uh, my favorite part is seeing uh, the look on the kids' faces when they win. Uh, because I remember being uh, an athlete and, and working very hard towards a win or very hard towards being better. And I, I really think that's probably uh, the best part of the whole thing for, for those kids is, is seeing their hard work pay off or seeing, um, or seeing them overcome challenges to get an upset win or an upset victory and seeing the camaraderie that comes from that. Cool. So when did you decide uh, to start the blog and, and the podcast? So uh, that all sort of started because uh, when I was a se- junior, senior in college, I actually wanted to go off to law school. Uh, my health declined pretty rapidly my senior year. Like I said, I developed pneumonia twice during my senior year. I got it once in one lung in the first semester and uh, in the other lung my second semester. So law school quickly went out the window. I just I, I realized that I had to take at least a year off. Uh, my dad also was pressuring me to to basically come home, get back on my feet, and and reevaluate some things. So I started working as a coach. I also started working at the foundation. When I got to the foundation, I wanted to make myself um, as available and as um, as competent a worker as possible. So we came up with a few ideas. The blog was the first idea, and uh, that 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 took off because it was a natural, really a natural skill for me because I had taken all those writing classes. Writing I guess classes, you could yeah. say my my parents' invested investment in college in me sort of paid off. Um, and then the podcast, we'd sort of been doing them uh, for many years. We we we, we call our, our video educational platforms. We also call we we basically call those podcasts as well. Whether or not okay. they are podcasts or not, it's up for the debate. Um, but I've been, I've been talking about CF and on camera and recording myself talking about CF for many, many years. Um, so then when it, when it came time to really create something that was a consistent podcast, make it matter podcast, it was something that uh, really wasn't too hard to decide to do. Uh, it was all about finding the right person to co-host it with. And then I met Julia um, just through the, the, you know, the, the, the way people with CF meet on the internet, I guess. Because we can't be around each other, people with cystic fibrosis can't be, you know, around and interacting with each other because it's dangerous to our to our health. Because so, of infections, uh, yeah, because of infection, uh, because of the way infection can spread from one person with CF to the next. Okay. Um, which is it's a pretty complex sort of idea, but you sort of just have to take me uh, at my word on that. Uh, gotcha. So, uh, <laughs> so, so Julie and I met uh, like way way many people with CF do is via Facebook or you know, uh, cystic fibrosis online communities, things like that. And um, from there, we we really uh, took on the idea of using our voice to to share our experiences with cystic fibrosis. Uh, you know, she has a different kind of cystic fibrosis than I do. We all we both had different experiences with it, and I think it's nice to to really share how we've overcome some of the challenges in different ways, but also experienced many of the, th- the same things over time. All right, cool. Um, what's like your goals for the future with the platform? So I, you know, obviously you want to build up a, you know, listenership and, and, uh, you know, a readership with the blog and the podcast, but you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a pretty small audience. Cystic fibrosis is rare disease. There's only 30,000 patients in the U S and, uh, you know, the reach isn't really, uh, that important to me. Rather, I just want to make sure that younger people with cystic fibrosis and their families understand that that uh, that kids with CF can can grow up to live normal, long, fulfilling lives because it's uh, it's really a uh, 
it's you know it's a possibility with the advancing science and technology around cystic fibrosis. It's definitely one of those things that people should expect to live long, fulfilling, normal lives. And uh, I think my hope is that with the podcast and the blog, I can I can hopefully uh, make some of those parents sleep a little a little easier at night. Well, I think you definitely do that. I, I checked out some of the episodes, and I thought they were very informative and, and great. As <laughs> I you. told you, I'm working on the uh, cystic fibrosis. Uh, research study at Atlantic Sports mm-hmm. Health, so I mm-hmm. watched a lot of those to to do that. Um, so as we kind of wrap up the interview, um, can you kind of talk about your Own It slogan and what the yeah, meaning so, behind that is? So the the title of my blog page is Own It. Um, basically, what I want people to do with cystic fibrosis is I want them to own it. I want them to share it with the world. I want them to become their own advocate, and I want them to advocate for themselves and for the rest of the cystic fibrosis community. There's no better teacher. Uh, for someone who doesn't have CF than someone who does. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I think people with cystic fibrosis need to get out there and share their story with the world so that people can identify with them. There's so few of us that we can't miss this opportunity to really educate the world on cystic fibrosis and uh, make our stories heard. Okay, that's great. So can you uh, just plug your website and social media, like where people can kind of support what you're, what you're, what you're doing? Yeah, so you can check out my blog my blog at uh, Uh You can follow me on Twitter at, at G17Assison. And then I also have a Facebook-like page uh, where you can get in touch with me, and you can also uh, follow along with my blog and, and weekly podcast. Awesome. I'll post that all up in the show notes. And uh, thanks, Gunnar, for you know, taking the time to do the interview and, and share your story. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.